At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Amen. Good morning. If we haven't met, my name is David Patton. I'm one of the pastors here at GCC, and it's my pleasure this morning to open up God's Word and read of His revelation to us this morning. I pray that we would be affected in our lives as we go forth uh, this week and in this world. Over the past four weeks, we have been blessed here at Gospel Community Church. We've been blessed by guest speakers, our very own Greg Reed, as well as three other Acts 29 brothers from sister churches around Georgia have driven here every morning, some of them two to three hours to get here to preach God's Word, not to mention the time and study and preparation. And if you're like me, when they came and they brought the Word of God, it was so applicable to my life, and I believe it was to you. It just blows my mind when someone out of the body comes to the body, preaches something that is so penetrating to the body and so timely, and so we're so thankful to be part of a network that has brothers and sisters that love one another, that, that, that support one another. That is, for us, the X29 Network, and so we're thankful for them. Next week, Pastor Kirk will be back on stage. He will be back uh, diving back into the Gospel of Luke. We'll be picking up mid-chapter 2 in Luke. But today we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians. Paul is admonishing the church in Corinth, and he's going to be telling them about a, a central act, a central remembrance of the Christian faith, and that is communion. And thinking about communion, thinking about that meal that the, the, uh, the disciples had with Jesus, thinking about the remembrance of that meal, it begs the question, have you ever been hungry? Uh, maybe, maybe you are right now. Maybe your belly is already churning for that lunch to come and you're just praying in your seat that I would hurry up and get done so we can beat everyone to uh, lunch. But, but when we're hungry, it, our, our body begins to talk to us, doesn't it? Our, 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 we have hunger pains in our belly. There's grumbling and, and growling, and, and, and if food is not consumed, then this grumbling and growling grows into slightly uh, painful contractions in our belly, right? And if ignored, these slightly painful contractions intensify into more and more painful ones, reminding us, hey, it's time to get something to eat. Later in the day, if we ignore those painful contractions, then we experience dizziness. We experience fatigue, and for some of us, uh, even more loss of brain function occurs. I bet very uh, few of us have experienced a, a time in which we continued to ignore it or continued to have lack of resources, so we went more than a day without food. You see, our body needs this nourishment, and, and, and to go at long periods without it, 
it just continues to amplify and intensify. Though again, I, I doubt that we've gone very long, most of us in this room, without it. But there are some interesting things that do happen in our body if we go without food for longer than 24 to 48 hours. It's called starvation. Now, when starvation occurs, it occurs when less calories are consumed than needed to continue these normal body functions. During the course of starvation, the body will actually begin to consume itself. First, fat stores are depleted, and then once those are depleted, then muscle is consumed, including heart and lung muscle. And if this continues, uh, a condition progresses without food, death can result in approximately 40 to 65 days. But here's an interesting fact about starvation. After that initial period of 24 to 48 hours, the body quits producing hunger pains. And what ensues is not pain as we've experienced in the short term, but an inward focus of the body to consume itself. So because the body switches gears and consumes itself, it's temporarily satisfied, right? The, the warning signs of hunger pains have faded away, and your body is being nourished, but it will lead to your death. This process is the same in our spiritual life. Have you ever been spiritually hungry? For many of you, this may equate to the feelings that you experienced at the conception and birth of your faith in Jesus Christ. You felt the hunger pains as you learned of a holy and perfect God who demands perfect obedience to his law. You felt the pains of conviction as you recognized that you did not meet those requirements of righteousness. And then as you see clearly Jesus, who is put forth as your substitute, who has perfectly obeyed the law and was punished for your sins and shortcomings, you begin to desire the meal that is Christ. And as you set out on a journey with Christ, as your savior, savior, you are hungry for more and more and more of his presence, of his blessing and of his joy. It's described as being on fire. We have experienced grace in such a personal way so as to overflow with thanksgiving as if sitting down to eat at a banquet after going without food for many days. But also for many in this room, this might not be your current situation. You either, one, have not felt the initial desire to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior, or that desire, that thanksgiving, that memory of a deep hunger has faded into the past, and you are left now to consume yourself with whatever you have in you. But if you're not individually dining on the goodness of Christ through the word and through prayer, then you will continue to waste away. And if the church is not dining on Christ, then the church members will consume one another and the church will crumble. The body is not meant to be consumed. We are meant to eat and drink what is outside of the body, both physically and spiritually. Food fills our bellies, but without food, we will consume ourselves to our death. 
Previously in chapter 11, Paul uh, derides the Corinthian church for gorging themselves on the Lord's Supper. It was this gorging and mishandling of the communion that led to much disunity in that church. Some were full and drunk while others were hungry. Groups of like-minded Christians were leaving out of fellowship people who were different. We do not want to fall into a rhythm of disorder and disobedience. We must therefore in this church and in the church at large heed Paul's words this morning as a reminder of the meal that we share and the warning against disunity in the church. The Lord's Supper is not to satisfy our physical hunger, but our spiritual hunger. And it is not used to divide, but to unite. The Lord's Supper it is, is for the church to nourish the body. Do you remember being spiritually hungry? Are you spiritually hungry this morning, right now? Well, this morning Paul invites us to the table to dine because the body and the blood of Christ is the only meal that will satisfy our souls and unify the church. Let's pick up where he begins in verse 23. Follow along with me in your Bible. It begins this way. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Now, in this section of scripture, Paul is making a reverse sandwich about the Lord's Supper, no pun intended. You, you know how you're supposed to critique someone. You're supposed to say something nice, right? Then tell them what they're doing wrong, and, and then say something nice again, right? That's, 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 a, that's a sandwich uh, in, in bringing something to a brother or sister. Well, in chapter 11, Paul is actually doing the opposite and there's good reason because there's division and disunity in the Corinthian church that threatened to dismantle it and render it useless. Therefore, Paul is going to use the famous, I told you. I, I'm telling you again, I, I done told you method. Maybe, maybe you've used that before with, with your children or with your spouse. Uh, verse 17 through 20, somebody, some people have. Verse 17 through 22 are filled with the church's abuses of this ordinance. In fact, Paul says, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. You see, this church is getting together, and it was a display of their division, not of their unity. And they were hungry, but not for a meal that was to be partaken. He even says that when they come together to eat the Lord's Supper, it is not the Lord's Supper that they eat. You see, when the church does not dine on Christ, it consumes itself. Their behavior was a mockery of the gospel and a display to the world around that Christianity was no different from the outside world. The members were using their status to consume those less wealthy. They were using their differences to consume the weaker brother. They were partaking in the festivals and the customs of the pagan city to fill their bellies. Not Christ, not his body, and not his blood. This did not sit well with Paul, having built this church upon the rock that is Christ. The church was in starvation mode, consuming itself despite him. 
So what he did deliver to them the first time was something, something extraordinary, something out of the ordinary. So how did Paul preach to uh, the Corinthian church? What did he teach them? What tells us at the beginning of his letter to the Corinthians in chapter 2, he says, For I decided to know nothing, nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul was an educated man. He could have waxed poetically about the law of God. He could have waxed poetically about many things in life, but yet he decided to preach nothing but Christ and him crucified. The body and the blood. Paul taught that the man, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect and sinless life in obedience to the law of God, thus de- uh, fulfilling the demands of for righteousness. Also, that Jesus was falsely tried, he was beaten and broken, then hung on a cross to die. On that cross, he became the substitute for God's believing children, dying in their place and for their sins, thus providing atonement for their sins. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant, and the establishment of the new one where grace is poured out on the believer and righteousness that was never attainable under the law has become attainable through the work of Jesus on the cross. What else is there to preach? Christ and Him crucified is the soul-satisfying meal meant to build and sustain the church. But Paul goes a step further and says, I received this from the Lord. Well, how and what specifically, he does not say, but we do know that this letter to the Corinthians was actually written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So he didn't read those and then teach the Corinthian church. It was actually written before he even met, uh, uh, met Luke in the, uh, in the New Testament. It was written before that. It was written before he met Peter. So how did he knew knew these things? He knew them because it was a revelation from the Lord. These were Jesus' instructions to him for the church. This was given to him by God and God alone directly as a special revelation. The words taught and the ordinances upheld in the church were not to be disobeyed nor made to mean nothing because they were Christ's words and his ordinances. And Christ wanted the church to be one body that dines on him, unified in their hunger for him and unified in their satisfaction for him. You see, what Paul is preaching is our unity. We're not unified in political affiliations or our gender, or our race, or our our annual income. We have similarities and we have differences, but they do not unify us, nor do they nourish our body. Our unity as believers is in the blood-bought covenant of the grace of God that we enter into when we place Jesus Christ as our King and our Savior. So as we enter this next section, the the middle of the condemnation sandwich that Paul is delivering to the Corinthians, we must keep in mind that Paul is lifting up to the Corinthians and to us the remembrance of the most central part of the gospel that unifies us. Christ died for sinners. 
It is this meal that satisfies our soul and unifies the church. So come with me this morning. Come and feast as we move into Paul's recounting of this last supper between Jesus and his disciples. This is, this is what Paul received. This is what he de- delivered, what was delivered to him. He says this, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the night that he was betrayed, that's what he said, the night that he was betrayed. This was instituted the night before his death as Christ dined with his inner circle of friends, yet disunity was lurking about. The whole of Jesus' ministry was about to be seemingly upended by betrayal and deceit and disunity. Because shortly after the meal, Judas, who was one of Jesus' inner circle, thousands of people followed Jesus, heard his words, heard his teachings, and he had 12 that were closest to him. And it was one of those guys. It was one of the 12. It was inside the circle. Inside his his church that would exchange Jesus for a bag of silver and hand him over to the Jewish authorities leading to his death. Yet this was God's plan. And it was a good plan. We know it was a good plan because it led to Good Friday. Do you also see, we have to look deep into this, do you also see the relationship that Christ sets as an example for his church. Jesus is faithful even in the face of unfaithfulness. Jesus is working for the good even while being hurt by a close friend. Why do we quarrel in God's church? Why do we snap at one another? Why are we slow to give the benefit of the doubt or to show grace and mercy or patience or gentleness with one another when it's been shown to us? I honestly believe if we were filled with Christ, we wouldn't consume one another. We, we are called to follow after Christ who pursues us even when we have wronged Him and even when we have been wronged. Jesus took the bread. He took the bread and said, this is a representation of my body. His body is for nourishment. His body fills us. The bread that Jesus held in his hands and the bread that we eat today is a a representation of his body and it's meant to be consumed in the way of remembrance of, of the meal that is his broken body. And he knew this and they knew this because Jesus had already told them. Let's... In John 6.35, Jesus said to them, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not be hungry, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is meant to be consumed. He is meant to enter into our body. He is meant for our nourishment. Bread is for the body to provide nourishment. Jesus is the bread of life. So what does that mean to consume Jesus? It means we first take him as our Lord and Savior. We we come to him asking him for the grace that which he freely gives to us as a gift. 
And then as we continue in our lives, we dine on the word that tells us about him. We dine on the humbling beauty of prayer that places us in his presence. And we revel in the glories of his past, present, and future grace. It is by grace you have been saved. By grace you are being sustained. And by grace you can move minute by minute into the future, surrounded by his grace. Jesus was so bold as to say that to dine on him you would never hunger or thirst. This is because to do so keeps spiritual starvation far away. And chew on this, pun intended. You, you can tell, you can tell when someone's been dining on Christ. You can. When our spirit is full of Christ, we are more like him. We are more willing to be patient with those around us that are flawed just like us. We are more likely to look through gospel lenses when seeing a tough situation or seeing a relationship at church or, or at work or in our home that we need to speak into. We are much more apt to put others first. However, the opposite is true. When we are spiritually starving, that is just as evident. We consume each other by only taking from them and never giving. We consume each other in our family by using them for what they can do for us or how they make us look. We consume the world by grasping for anything at all to fill the void we have inside of us that makes us feel happy or full. And unfortunately, and I don't have to tell you this because you already know, feeding on these things will only lead to advanced spiritual starvation, and then we die. And the worst part about spiritual starvation is the same as physical starvation. After a while, it doesn't hurt anymore. After a while, that conviction goes away. And we are left to the winds of our sin that carries us away far from Christ without us even knowing. And it's, it's always worse, right? When, when, when we sin and then we stop for a while, every time we go back to that sin, it's always to more and more degree. Why is that? It's because it takes more to satisfy us. Each time it's like a drug. The next hit always has to be more to try to achieve the same high because our conviction is gone and our spiritual starvation is not warning us anymore. And that is scary. It's scary for the church and it's scary for us. Now, once Jesus had given thanks, he, he broke it, the bread Jesus raised up the bread which represented his body and gave thanks to the Father, knowing that it was the Father's will that would set him on a course towards death. What a display of unity with the Father. What a display of obedience of his will. Are we able to follow this example when we are starved? Can you give thanks to God in a season of sacrifice? You see, when we are dining on Christ, we can praise God despite our current situation. Maybe you are being used in a mighty way right now, but feeling the weight of your responsibility. Dine on Christ for steadfastness. 
or you are walking in a season of the unknown, dine on Christ of his promises. Maybe your life is broken and busted up and you are without your way. Dine on Christ for his grace is sufficient for you for his power is made perfect in weakness. Next he symbolically uh, breaks the bread showing that it must be that he die. He says in effect, I just broke the bread and tomorrow I will break my body. What would that mean? It means that Jesus said, What Jesus said in John 10, it won't come up on the screen, but just listen. He says, I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And there is good news. If he lays down his life, he takes it up again. If he breaks his body, he will mend it and he will rise. Amen. And Jesus says, This is my body, which is for you. Christ's broken, bruised, torn and tattered body was for his disciples. It was for his believers, and it is for you this morning. At the supper, Christ symbolically takes the bread, gives thanks, and he breaks it. Then distributes it to be consumed, to be eaten, to nourish his believers by his body. Practically speaking, we must not consume one another. The body is not meant to be consumed. That's what's done in the world. The world consumes others for what they can provide for us. You are not of the world and your appetite must not be for the things of the world. Christ gives us the bread of life, which is his body. He gives it to us that we may dine upon it and be filled individually and corporately as one body. Moving on to verse 25, he says, In the same way, also he took the cup after, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It's the cup of the, of the new covenant. You see, after the meal was complete, Jesus takes the wine on the table in his hand and again makes a profound statement. The wine in the cup represents my blood. That's a new covenant for you. Blood is a part of a covenant. It it is not new. Blood was part of the old covenant. The sacrificial system that goes back to the laws given by Moses under God. Under this system, the blood of an animal was shed for the cleansing of sins and made a person clean where they could be in the presence of God. Again. And again, and again, and again, it had to be repeated. You said the, the sinners would go to the temple in order to hand over the prescribed animal for the offense. Doves, lambs, bulls, sheep were killed in accordance to the Jewish sacrificial practices in order to make one clean. Most important was the, in the Jewish calendar was the Day of Atonement, the Day of Yom Kippur. This day for the atonement of the sins of the entire Jewish nation. Multiple sacrifices were made, but one of the ones that sticks out were the two goats. You see, one goat was killed as the atonement for the sins of the nation, while the second goat, called the scapegoat, was brought to the high priest, and he pronounced the sins over this animal. And and then the goat was set free in the wilderness to carry the sins far away. Just to review... 
Uh, under the old covenant, the sacrifices had to be renewed annually or all the time or any time one sought to be in the presence of God because of the limited ability of the blood. The blood of animals does not cleanse to the uttermost. The blood of animals was only used to return the sinful to zero sum, meaning one more sin would plunge you back into judgment. But this is the cup of the new covenant in the blood of Christ. Under the new covenant inaugurated by Christ on the cross, his blood was, that was shed would be the blood that cleanses once and for all, praise God. Because his sinless life fulfilled the Old Testament law, the requirements of God, and because his blood is that of the God-man, then his atoning work on the cross where he shed his blood can, one, assuage or satisfy the wrath of God that is placed on sin. Two, it can cleanse us all of our sins of our past, praise God, our present and our future as well as it can place upon the believer the righteousness that Jesus Christ earned, thereby not placing us back into zero sum. But when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, it places us in the place of righteousness. It's called the great exchange. Martin Luther called the great exchange as Jesus on the cross places upon us his righteousness and takes upon himself our shame, our sin, our guilt, and died in our place and for our sin. Therefore, we take the communion wine or juice and drink it in remembrance of the inauguration of a much, much, much better covenant with God through the shed blood of Christ. Verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, Clearly, there is no prescribed calendar or intervals for this ordinance. It say annually as, as, as the Passover, or quarterly, or, or monthly, or weekly. It, do, it doesn't ascribe an interval for taking of communion. Only he says, as often as you take of it. A regular pattern seems that there is a regular pattern then, as often as you take of it. A regular pattern in which we should be partaking of the sacrament of communion. At GCC, we partake in the Lord's Supper every week. Here's a few reasons why. They'll come on the screen because, number one, we, we are forgetful. We, we are for, I don't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. I, I, I can barely remember the names of my children sometimes because they all start with S, no offense, and I'm like, Sadie, Sarah Jane, I'm forgetful. And so are you busy with work, busy, so that we can busy with ministry, busy, we, we, we busy our minds just to be busy so that we can be busy, so we can look busy. Number two, we want to remain hungry at GCC. Now that sounds contradictory. We want to dine on Christ so that we can re- desire hungry. When I say remain hungry, I mean hungry to desire the meal which is Christ. We remind ourselves every week because we are forgetful, because we want to remain hungry for the meal that is Christ. And number three, it's the center of our unity. When we proclaim the Lord's death, we showcase the gospel. It is us demonstrating that we are united under the grace of Christ that saves us and showing that we are consuming something other than ourselves. 
We are proclaiming the gospel in action as we in one body and of one accord remember the acts of Jesus Christ that unites us. We are acknowledging to everyone our desperate need for a Savior. It is because of our sin that we need a Savior. And Christ's sacrifices, sacrifice cleanses us of that sin. And we do it as often as we, as we partake. We do it until He comes this ordinance is forward-looking. We are in the church age, just as they were in the church age as Paul was preaching to them. We're in the last days, just as Paul, when he was teaching them, was in the last days. This is forward-looking. This time period of the church is forward-looking in anticipation of the return of Christ. This was a belief held in the early church, and it's the same now that our Savior will return, and when He does, It'll be a glorious day. It'll be a glorious day. Therefore, this ordinance shall be upheld into that glorious day. Now we partake in shadow, and it, it fills us, but it's not the final meal. The final meal is perpetually dining on Christ, on the present glories and wonders of Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. During this time, we will not need a reminder of that sacrifice of Christ because we will be on the other side in the present glory of our Savior. One body, one church, all Christians in fellowship and in harmony. We will be full of the riches and the blessings of our King. And we will be united together, all races, all creeds, all God's children together being satisfied. Amen and amen. Now, Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So Paul just pointed to this central theme of unity that flows through all Christians. This should be the bond that unites us, the bond that breaks all other social barriers. But the Corinthians were making a mockery of it. Hopefully the middle part of this sandwich that we just dined on can shed light into the hypocrisy of the church then and of the church today. The church segregates on Sunday morning. Not, not only with race, not only in socioeconomic poor churches and rich churches, but, but we segregate with cliques and groups and classes even in the same church. We have the haves and the have-nots. We have the power struggles and fights over the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. Thank God, not here. We all agree on gray. The children of God act like, well, just plain children. And this is specifically what Paul is talking about. This letter was written to a specific church with specific problems, though it has great application to the church today. Paul is saying that the unworthy manner they have been eating the Lord's Supper has been disgraceful. The manner, that, the manner was the way some were full while some went hungry. Some were drunk while some had none. He is addressing the divisions and the factions and the blatant abuses of the gospel in this church. And this is the unworthy manner that they had been eating and drinking and for that, they will be guilty. And he says this in an unworthy manner will we'll be guilty. But let me just pause for just a second 
and hover over this text because it has been and can continue to be a stumbling block to some to come before the Lord's table to dine. First Paul, again, is admonishing specifically the manner in which the Corinthians were abusing this ordinance. They were treating the holy remembrance of Christ unworthily, meaning they were not giving it proper reverence, approaching it with a proper heart conditioning, condition, nor using it as an occasion to unite with like-minded believers. But, and this is the different, uh, different way of saying the unworthy uh, of the ordinance, he wasn't saying that they were unworthy of the ordinance. He was saying they were taking the ordinance unworthily. Do you see the difference? It is true that in ourselves we are all on our own, unworthy to approach the table, the table of the Lord. Unworthy to be regarded as followers of Christ. Unworthy of the promise of everlasting life. But for the Christian, your worthiness is in Christ alone, and He alone is worthy. This will come on the screen. If you are a Christian, then you have been blood-bought by the King, and your worth is, therefore, no longer the sum of your accomplishments, minus your failures, but rather your worth is in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. Therefore, as a Christian, you are worthy to approach the table. You are worthy to dine and feast on Christ isn't that worth celebrating this morning? Isn't that worth singing about? We are worthy of approaching the banquet table of God's grace to dine because the grace that has been bestowed upon you through the very body and blood upon which we dine. Verse 28, he says, Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. For the Corinthians, it seems that this meal was being consumed to satisfy one's physical hunger at the cost of another's. They were eating in an unworthy manner, and Paul is saying, you better check yourself. He says, let a person examine himself. Again, this does not mean your worthiness. You're not examining your worthiness, because if you're in Christ, you are worthy, but it does mean make sure you're partaking worthily. Are you coming to the table spiritually hungry? and looking for a spiritual meal. It is right, and we prompt this every week, to pray for the Holy Spirit to examine your heart, to highlight areas ripe for repentance, and areas of sin need to be brought before the Lord. It is right to ask a brother or sister, or even a prayer team member, or myself, to pray for you or over you. This includes the question that you need to ask yourself, have I accepted Christ's free gift of grace? Am I a Christian? This is important because the Lord's Supper is to be taken by Christians who are partaken in remembrance of the acts of salvation, whether a child by Christ. Therefore, anyone who has not accepted Christ as Savior and King, whether a child or adult, should refrain from participating 
We're thankful that you are here and we're thankful that you are listening and, and hearing the word of God. And we pray that it would penetrate your heart in such a way as to bring about salvation that you would one day fully participate in this part of the service. But until then, we ask that you observe and ask the Holy Spirit to stir your affections, your hunger for Christ. Also, we must examine the manner in which we are partaking. This most fully points to the divisiveness and quarreling in the church. The Corinthian church was overrun with this contention, and Paul is saying to eat the Lord's Supper with a... Not to eat the Lord's Supper with a contentious or divisive spirit, because to do so is to drink and eat judgment on yourself. So I want to commend the Gospel Community Church, and I also want to warn you. One, we at Gospel Community Church have been family from day one, and you probably are aware family is not easy. Family's not easy. Uh, but we have been united by something far greater than anything that unites us in this world. We've been united by a hunger. We've been united by a banner, all of which is Christ. And, listen to this carefully, we are one argument away from a church split. We are one feud away from a church collapse. We see it so many times and all too often. Church is shutting their doors because God's children just can't get along and place Him as most important. So we must check ourselves, our hearts, so as to never bring judgment on ourselves or on the church. If you have bitterness, anger, or resentment brewing in your heart for another member of this church, then confess it to the Lord today and bring it to them in repentance between you, active part of healing and reconciliation in this church between you and the other person, lest you become a fracture in the walls of God's church. You see, when we consume ourselves and others for nourishment, we continue to starve, and starving people do desperate and despicable things. And these things bring about the judgment of God, is what Paul says. But read carefully what Paul says at the end, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we not, may not be condemned along with the world. What is in view is God's judging Christians, God's judging sinful saints. Paul says in Romans that there is no condemnation. Praise God for the Christian, but there is discipline. There is discipline. This, this, this letter to the Corinthians was discipline. This letter to us this morning is discipline calling us to draw together under the meal that is Christ. God will use whatever manner he is needed to discipline his children in order to draw them into obedience. The church in Corinth was a mess. And their sickness, Christians in the church, some had maladies that fell upon them and all sickness and death. And some inside the walls of the church were not Christians at all. And Paul says in the previous section about these factions in the church, revealing those who are genuine. So there's judgment on the world and those who are in it, but Paul brings this word to them and to us that we would not be condemned, but disciplined and brought back into order. Verse 33, So then, my brothers, when you come together, eat, wait for one another, 
If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for your judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. To sum up, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, come hungry to church, but eat before you get here, because you know we preach for a long time. There is a meal to be had this morning. There's a meal to be had when we go outside of these doors, and it is Christ. And for the Christian, that is a nourishment upon which we will never grow hungry and we will never thirst. A few points of application. Dine on the word. Pour the sauce over everything. Pour the sauce over your work Pour the sauce over your family. Pour the sauce over your own soul. Be covered with the word so that we can continually dine on the true gospel, on the only gospel, not a false narrative that the world sells you, not a false narrative that your wicked heart desires, but the true word that is Christ, that truly fulfills. Number two, come hungry to the supper. Every week we set aside all else and dine on the broken body and the shed blood of Christ as represented by the bread and juice. We do this in remembrance of the mighty act of salvation that Jesus Christ did for you and for us. Come recognizing your hunger and eating your fill. And last, walk in unity with your fellow sinners here at Gospel Community Church. Sinner saints. Look to your left and look to your right. This is your forever family. We are one, not unified in our sin or politics or music style or race or gender or any of these things, but unified in Christ. Therefore, be an agent of peace and reconciliation in our church and partake in the meal that unifies. unifies. Let's pray. Father God, in your love for your church, in your love for your children, you sent Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, to save us, to save us from ourselves, to save us from this world, to save us for a life to come when he returns and makes all things new. And you sent him into this world that while in this world we would not be hungry, but we could dine Dine on a meal that satisfies. Dine on a meal that fills us. Dine on a meal that unites us. Lord, today I pray as we partake in the communion, as we take of the bread and take of the juice, we would pause to remember the very act that Christ accomplished for us, that we would apply it directly to our starving heart and that would give us life and give us nourishment and create a hunger in us that we continually would come back to the source that is Christ and that we would continually be unified as your church. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this.
At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.